Good morning. As we gather today, we're going to start off singing as a gathering song. So please take your worship folder and uh, we're going to learn this little song from South Africa. So I'll sing, uh, we'll sing a little bit for you and then ask you to join in with us. So, Hallelujah, Pelotsarona, Dita Bilaka Othela. Hallelujah, Pelotsarona, Dita Bilaka Othela. Your turn. Hallelujah, Pelotsarona, Dita Bilaka Othela. Hallelujah, Pelotsarona. If you're having trouble with the words, then just put some syllables in there and, uh, and be hearty about it, okay? Let's try it again. Here we go. One. Hallelujah, Belotsarona, Tita Bilaka Ophela. Hallelujah, Belotsarona, Tita Bilaka Ophela. Christ the Lord to us said, I am wine, I am bread, I am wine, I am bread, give to all who thirst and hunger. Okay, now let's do the English on the beginning and then we'll sing the whole thing. So, hallelujah, we sing your praises, all our hearts are filled with gladness. Praises, all our hearts are filled with gladness. Okay, confidence counts for a lot in life, okay? Let's stand and be confident and sing from the top. Here we go. All right, so we'll have a little drum out of this. Here we go. Sing your praises, all our hearts are filled with gladness. Hallelujah, we sing your praises, all our hearts are filled with gladness. Now he sends us all out, strong in faith, amid doubt, strong in faith, amid doubt. Tell to all the joyful gospel, hallelujah, we sing your praises. All our hearts are filled with gladness. Hallelujah, we sing your praises. All our hearts are filled with gladness. One more time. Hallelujah, we sing your praises. All our hearts are filled with gladness. Hallelujah, we sing your praises. All our hearts are filled with gladness. You may be seated. Amen. Our hearts are filled with gladness, and Easter is a time of surprises. We have been focusing on the idea that the Easter season is a time when God surprises us. 
The essence of Easter really is surprise from the very beginning. When we worship today, we hope that you'll feel welcome in this place. You will need a worship folder, as you've already discovered. If you don't find what we're singing printed there, then pick up the hymnal in front of you, and you'll find it there. So one of those two places, you'll find everything you need today. Today, we are going to recognize graduates uh, who are not high school graduates, but uh, college graduates, seminary graduates, uh, grad school, all of those folks. So if you are a graduate other than a high school graduate, would you join me here at the front, please? Okay, here we go. Yes. Okay, anybody else? This is your time. Okay. All right. Rather than mess this up, I'm going to let uh, each of these people introduce them, uh, him or herself and tell uh, where you're graduating from and uh, maybe what was your major and if you want to say what you're doing from here, if you were to have an idea about that, then uh, you would be welcome to share that as well. But no judgment if you don't. Okay. Uh, my name is Ellis McCormick. I just graduated with my BA in history, and I also went pre-med with that uh, from Pepperdine University, and I'll be heading to Philadelphia after this. My name is Taylor Middleton. I am graduating with a BA in religion, and I will be moving to Los Angeles. My name is Mark Bondurk. I am graduating from Truett Seminary. Well, I'll be a Master of the Divine, otherwise known as a Master of Divinity in sports ministry and chaplaincy, and I will do a CPE unit at Baylor Scott and Wine Temple uh, this summer. My name is Emmett Drumgool. I am graduating from Truett Seminary with a Master's of Divinity, and for some reason I picked up another a degree, so with a Master's of Science in Education also. Um, and then afterwards, Kristen and I are moving to Liberty, Missouri. My name is Becca Blome. I'll be graduating from Baylor with my master's in social work on Friday and then going to Utah on a hiking tri trip with Emily. <laughs> and then we'll see. <laughs> I'm Emily Moeller. I will also be graduating with my MSW on Friday um, and I'm moving back home to Charleston, South Carolina and looking for a job there. A couple of graduates that aren't with us, uh, Monica Corley is graduating from Emory and Mary Stoner is also um, graduating. So those are uh, kids who grew up in our church, at least they're kids to me, um, who grew up here and have gone off and done well. And we're proud of them also. Let's join together in a prayer for each of these. God, we are grateful to you that you give us the opportunity for education, that you grace us with that um, gift these young people have received education and many have poured into them and they have poured into their studies as well. Guide them as they go from here. Guide them on their next steps. Uh, open the doors for them that are yours to open and help them to have the courage and the confidence to step forward as they've already done in these days. We offer you their lives and our support. Amen.
God, our creator and our friend. We have come this morning to this familiar place to meet you in the familiar and also in the unexpected. Like children waiting on a gift from a good parent, we too wait to unwrap the goodness of both gift and giver. Surprise us, O oh Lord, the way an adventure surprises the seeker, the way parenthood surprises new parents with unexpected challenges and unexpected joys. Call us, God, where we might otherwise not go, and where we resist, take us by the hand. Encounter us, God, whether in hours of daylight or darkness, that somewhere along the way you might command a blessing. In the name of the one who turns sorrow into joy, pain into hope, and darkness into light. Amen.
his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of Jebek. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with their children in front, and then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he became near his brother. Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And finally Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor with my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand, for truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Since you have received me with such favor, please accept my gift that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have everything I want. So he urged him, and he took it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I can feel it rising. I can feel it rising. 
The irony of our sharing today is that we were initially slated to share in this service in a worship planning session held the first week of January. Who could have imagined the urgent importance that today's topic would have now compared to the less complex days of just four months ago? It is no secret that Randall and I are overachievers, endless organizers and planners, maximizing every day. In our early years of marriage, as we were beginning our careers and working on graduate degrees, we quickly came to recognize that our conversations were often peppered with phrases such as, when we, as soon as we, someday when, we soon recognized that we were neglecting the life we were living in the present in deference to an imagined life in which all things would be better, less fearful for the Enneagram 6, and more perfect for the Enneagram 1. We began to call this pattern postponing our happiness, and we started calling each other out on it, a practice that has lasted throughout our 36 years of marriage. What we started to recognize that was that, li that the life we were living in a cold and damp 1940s built seminary apartment in the 1980s was good, and we needed to call it out. <clears throat> that the period of dealing with my brother's death in our late 20s and 11 years of infertility into our mid-30s was also a time filled with much to celebrate. That the struggles that we had with five failed adoptions, my unexpectedly being embroiled in Baptist political politics, were periods of our lives filled with both deep pain and many unanticipated joys. This pattern has continued with struggles that we've had with raising children, job changes, aging parents, until we find ourselves where we are today. What does it mean to postpone happiness when you receive the news that you have inoperable stage four pancreatic cancer? When you are told that you have from three to 11 months to live, what are the implications of postponing happiness? When we initially agreed to share about postponing happiness, we had no idea how urgent this subject really was. If we had only known in January, in January what we know now, we would have had four extra months to live in this renewed time of living more fully, a time frame that seems like an eternity of good health from where we stand today. So what, was, what does it mean not to postpone happiness, to live authentically with the reality that God surprises us? How do we live out our motto in these days? The reality is that we're still figuring it out. Just as we were unsure of what living in the moment meant as newlyweds in the 1980s, struggling to live on less than $12,000 a year and studying and working around the clock, we're now struggling with what it means to count our days and hours in this time, to measure each day as if it were our last, to live authentically and to authentically live in these days. In reality, today we have fewer pat answers than we did in our 20s. Yet some days, these days feel a lot like our 20s. While we now have a comfortable home, a stronger financial outlook, amazing children, and a host of the when we things that we once dreamed about, Life is more and more lived in the simplicity of smaller things, the same sort of small things we celebrated in those earlier days. Walks down the street, sitting together in the quietness of our living room, reading poetry and smiling, eating a simple meal together and talking, drinking a cup of tea, sharing a popsicle, and most importantly, time spent with family, 
phone calls to relatives, reconnecting with friends from the past, hugging those we love a little, more tighter, a little tighter, forgiving more frequently, sweating the small things a little less. a peace I've come to know, though my heart and flesh may fail, there's an anchor for my soul, I can say.
Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. O great creator and sustainer of life, may your kingdom come in these moments. We pray. Amen. The great pulpiteer, John Claypool, when he was still a Baptist, had not made the transition to Episcopal, made the claim that God's other name is surprise. If God's other name is surprise, then that other name surprise is written all over the narrative of Genesis 12 through 50. The narrative of the origin of the nation of Israel, focusing particularly on the promise of the God of covenant, the creator God that we have often called the Abrahamic covenant. After all, I mean, uh, the framing of the story in the beginning is a pretty big surprise in that this God of covenant over years keeps insisting, I will give you many offspring, Abraham and Sarah, and this is a couple who doesn't seem to be able to conceive. I mean, Surprise, I mean, what audience, when hearing this story or reading this story for the first time, isn't surprised when they finally have a child, their life seems to be working out, and then this God of covenant says, now, Abraham, go and sacrifice your son, your only son, on the Mount of Moriah. What audience sees that coming? And then you follow this story all the way to the, the ending short story uh, in Genesis. And surprise, I mean, the big reveal moment of that short story is when the sons of Israel have to go to Egypt to get grain to survive, and surprise, the prime minister they deal with happens to be their brother Joseph they sold into slavery. Shocking? Surprising? And our text is no exception, filled with surprises. The homecoming of Jacob after 20 years away living with his uncle Laban to make sure he marries the right kind of women, those from the family, and to protect him from the vow of his adversarial brother Esau, who has promised when my father dies, so will my brother Jacob. But this Jacob has sensed and felt that uh, the God of covenant 
has called him to return to the land of Canaan, the land of promise, to be close to his father, the blind father Isaac that is still alive. And so here he is at the front door of this homecoming. And there are two encounters. Now he comes home expecting one encounter. But in our text, we find out he has two encounters, and both of them are filled and fraught with surprise. In the night, in the dark, before he will meet Esau in the light, the next day the adversarial brother, in that dark when Jacob has sent his company across the Jabbok River, and there he is alone. And surprised in the night, a man attacks. And it is a jagged, rugged story that we have a hard time getting our minds around. But in this story of attack by a man in the night, surprise, his hip is put out of joint. When he is called upon by this adversary to, to release his hold and to let go. Jacob calls out for a blessing, maybe begging for a blessing the way his brother Esau had when his father Isaac had given Esau's blessing to Jacob and Esau cried out, do you not have a blessing for me too? Now it is Jacob who requests a blessing and surprise, he gets a new name, Israel. And then he asks for the attacker's name and instead of getting a name, he gets a blessing. Who is this? What is it that he has struggled with? Read the commentaries. Whatever confusion you have, you'll be more confused. <laughs> Walter Brueggemann, the Old Testament scholar, uses at least five different ways of referring to this one. Stranger in the night, was he listening to Frank Sinatra when he chose that one? An adversary, the hidden one, the unnamed opponent, and finally, the divine antagonist. Whoever Jacob thought it was at the beginning of the attack, the narrator is certain of what Jacob's takeaway is. Surprise, Peniel, I have encountered God at a depth I never imagined and I've never had to this time, and yet, surprise, my life has been preserved. Surprise. Everything about the way the narrator has brought us to this moment 
has made the audience aware that the focus of Jacob, the concern of Jacob, the anxiety of Jacob is all about his encounter, his homecoming with his brother Esau who has vowed to kill him. When Jacob hears that Esau is coming with 400 men, he is afraid and he divides his company. In case Esau attacks one, the rest can get away. The other company can get away. Jacob then prays and says to this God of covenant, you have protected you, me, you have prospered me, you have been with me, and this isn't the time to leave me now. And he says that because in the prayer he says to this God of covenant, because Esau, Esau may be coming and wanting to kill me and my family. He sends waves of livestock hoping to find favor in the face of Esau. So with all of this worry and concern about the encounter with Esau, surprise! Jacob, you thought your struggle was with Esau. And it turns out to be with the God of covenant. Surprise. In that struggle, you are both wounded and blessed and given a new name. The second encounter, not in the night, but after the daunting of the day, is the anticipated encounter, the one that he was thinking about and worried about. That's with Esau. And surprise, the 400 men coming with Esau turns out not to be an attack force. If anything, they seem to be an escort for Esau's welcome wagon. Esau, who has been imagined to come angry, hating, attacking, surprise, Esau comes running, looking a lot like a father in Luke 15, seeing his prodigal son who has wasted his wealth coming home. Esau runs, embraces, fell on his neck and kissed Jacob, and then Jacob joined him in the emotion and surprise, they both wept together. Surprise. Jacob, now Israel, thinking your greatest concern was your homecoming with Esau, And you come home, and Esau greets you with such hospitality, with such a spirit of forgiveness, surprise, Jacob, 
now Israel says to Esau, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Surprise. Indeed, God's other name does seem to be surprise. Will Campbell liked to refer to himself as the bootleg preacher. Those of you who have read Will Campbell and know his story know that uh, he was the Baptist preacher from Amit County in South Mississippi that went on to a Yale education and became this advocate in the 1950s and 1960s for civil rights. He became involved in the movement of Martin Luther King and others, and he became so involved in that that in uh, his, his home area of Mississippi, he quit going back home because he was such a lightning rod and there was so much criticism towards him, he decided that he wouldn't go home, he wouldn't put his family through that because so many of his own family and the community that he uh, had grown up in and the church he had come from were so upset with his involvement and his push for integration and equality for all people in our nation. In Campbell's memoir, Brother to a Dragonfly, in one of the last sections called Evening, he tells the tragic story when, as he was staying away from his home, away from his family, he got news that made him come home. He received news that his nephew, named for him, had been hit by a car and was in a hospital and was not expected to live. Will Campbell decided he had to go and be there with his sister and with his family. He goes there and the way he describes that, it's like when Will arrived, he became the person that everybody, including his sister, was looking for, for leadership. And so he had to be uh, brother and he had to be uncle and he had to be pastor and he had to guide them and he was there in the hospital and he was there when the nephew died and then he was there leading them as they made the arrangements. He was there at the night when they were having the wake and he was exhausted because he had not left this tragic situation and been so much a part of it and as the wake waned down in the tradition of that area of the country and that period of time, his sister came to him and said, Will, I've got something hard to ask you. Uh, I know you're fatigued. I know you haven't had any sleep or much sleep. You've been with him, speaking of the dead nephew, her son. I know you've been with him for three days, but I need you to sit with him through the night. So Will took on the responsibility and he stayed as the last mourner left the wake. The way he describes it is like, it's as if Will Campbell lost sense of time. Who knows exactly what all he did? He doesn't describe it, but you can imagine this 
preacher, prophet, person who dared to ask the hard questions in that grief must have been asking the most difficult questions of his God and about life. And in the midst of that grief, sometime in the middle of the night, it turns out Campbell finds out it's about 3 a.m. Sitting there near the body, he hears a voice from behind him. It's getting cool outside. Will responded because he recognized the, uh, the voice without even turning around. He recognized it of one, as being the voice of one of his favorite uncles from his childhood. But it turns out that this uncle, who had been the one who never responded when the evangelist came by and called him to commit his heart and life to Jesus and walk the aisle or any of those kinds of things. And this favorite uncle of Will Campbell had become one of the primary voices and one of the most strident voices in criticism against Will Campbell, this awful person, this awful member of the family who was leading and trying to tear down this this precious institution of integration. It was that uncle who had been such an adversary who got up from the pew, according to Campbell, and moved up next to Will at 3 a.m. in the morning with a thermos of coffee, and he poured a cup of coffee to Campbell. And then Campbell shocks the readers with this statement about that uncle. He says, until dawn, I sat in the redemptive company of a racist Jesus. Surprise. Eugene Peterson, his book on the contemplative pastor, suggests that we come to worship, that we come to church in order to learn to pray. I take it he means in order to learn to commune with God, to speak to God and to hear from God. It's almost time for us to pray. But before we do, maybe a word of warning is appropriate. Before we pray, we might remember that when we are concerned and worried about many things and many people, we might discover that our biggest struggle is not where we think it is, but it is with our God. Before we pray, we might 
be reminded that this God revealed in the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ just might transform the person who we see as our greatest adversary and send them to us with our greatest experience of a healing hug. Before we pray, we might be warned. This God revealed in the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ might call us to embrace, to kiss that other person who thinks that we are his or her greatest adversary. Indeed, God's other name is surprise. And now it's time for us to pray. Great and Holy One, in the words of Jesus we pray, into your hands we commit our wounds, our tears, our pain, our laughter, our hearts, our minds, our ears, our eyes, trusting these moments and this experience to your care. Amen. Well, maybe this morning um, you would like to respond to the surprising ways that God is meeting you as he did Jacob. Or maybe you want to join our community of faith here at Calvary, where we seek to know and follow Jesus together, living as Easter people the best ways we know how. However God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back, ready to receive you and to pray with you as we continue in worship.
As we come to the table today, here, come on. May we not believe that we have God all figured out. May we remember that our God is a God of surprises. Just as he surprised Jacob on his way to meet Esau, may God also surprise us with his presence today. God, we, we confess that you don't always come in the ways that we expect you to. We often find you in the places where we think you shouldn't be, in the midst of our wrestling with fear, with insecurities, with anger, with people we think are our enemies. God, you are right there wrestling with us. God, that we often get it wrong when we call others our enemies. We humbly come before your table and remember that we too were once your enemies. Jesus, may we see your face as we embrace those who are hard to love. As we take this bread and this cup, we remember the surprising depth of God's covenant love for us, a love that is willing to meet us in our wrestling, a love that was wounded for our sins, a love that not even death could overcome. It is with this assurance of God's surprising love that meets us where we are, that we come to the table to taste and see God's presence where we least expect it to be. And as we come, we remember again how the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes friends you are invited to come to the table come and be surprised by god's unfailing love
announcements before we depart today. Um, tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. we will be doing a high five wall at West Avenue. Um, they have star tests tomorrow. I'm not a morning person at all. You can ask my husband. But I have gone to this multiple times and it's a really great time. It's so fun. So if you're able to make it tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. and your schedule permits, we would love to see you there. Um, and just a quick pastoral care update. Jamie Fulton um, his father passed away last week rather unexpectedly. So Jamie and Deirdre, we are keeping you all in our thoughts and prayers, and we love you guys. Um, and just remember both Jamie and Deirdre and Jada and Dane and all of their extended family in the coming days as they grieve and reminisce and prepare to say goodbye to their dad. So please now hear the spoken benediction. May God give you grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. The blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with us now and remain with us. Amen. <laughs>